Chapter 9 The lion was now pacing to and fro about the empty land and singing his new song. It was much softer and more lilting than the song by which he had called up the stars and the sun. It was a gentle, rippling music. And as he walked and sang, the valley grew green with grass. It spread out from the lion like a pool. It ran up the sides of the little hills like a wave. In a few minutes, it was creeping up over the lower slopes in the distant mountains, making that young world every moment softer. The light wind could now be heard ruffling the grass. Soon there were other things besides grass. The higher slopes grew dark with heather. Patches of rougher and more bristling green appeared in the valley. Diggory did not know what they were until one began coming up quite close to him. It was a little spiky thing that grew out with dozens of arms and covered those arms with green, and it grew larger at a rate of about an inch every two seconds. There were dozens of those things all around him now. They were nearly as tall as himself when he saw what they were. Trees, he exclaimed. The nuisance of it, as Polly said afterward, was that you weren't left in peace to watch it all. Just as Diggory said trees, he had to jump because Uncle Andrew had sidled up to him again and was just about to pick his pocket. It wouldn't have gone done Uncle Andrew much, much good if he had succeeded, for he was aiming at the right-hand pocket, which what, because he still thought the greens were homeward rings. But, of course, Diggory didn't want to lose either. Stop, cried the witch. Stand back. No further back. If anyone goes within two paces of either of the children, I will knock out their brains. She was poising in her hands the iron bar that she had torn off the lamppost, ready to throw it. Somehow, no one doubted that she would be a very good shot. So, she said, you would steal back to your own world with the boy and leave me here. Uncle Andrew's temper at last got the better of his fears. Yes, ma'am, I would, he said. Most undoubtedly, I would. I should be perfectly in my rights. I have been most shamefully, most abominably treated. I have done my best to show you such civilities as were in my power. And what has been my reward? You have robbed, I must repeat the word, robbed a highly respectable jeweler. You have insisted on my entertaining you to an exceedingly expensive, not to say ostentatious lunch, though I was obliged to pawn my watch and chain in order to do so. And let me tell you, man, that... None of our family have been in the habit of frequenting pawn shops except my cousin Andrew, my cousin Edward, and he is in your seminary. During that indigestible meal, I'm feeling the worst for it at this very moment, your behavior and conversation attracted the unfavorable attention of everyone present. I feel I've been publicly disgraced. I shall never be able to show my face in that restaurant again. You have assaulted the police. You have stolen. I'll st- "'Stow it, governor, do stow it,' said the cabbie. "'Watching and listening to the things at present, not talking.' "'There was certainly plenty to watch and to listen to. "'The tree which Diggory had noticed was now a full-grown breech, "'beech with branches swaying gently above his head. "'They stood on cool green grass, sprinkled with daisies and buttercups. "'A little way off along the riverbank, willows were growing. "'On the other side,' tangles of flowering currant, lilac, wild rose, and rhododendron closed them in. The horse was tearing up delicious mouthfuls of new grass. All this time, the lion song and his stately prowl, to and fro, backward and forward, was going on. 
What was rather alarming was that at each turn he came a little nearer. Polly was finding that the, so- the song more and more interesting because she thought she was beginning to see the connection between the music and the things that were happening. When a line of dark firs sprang up at the ridge about a hundred yards away, she felt that they were connected with the series of deep, pro- deep, prolonged notes which the lion had sung a second before, and then he burst into a rapid series of lighter notes, and she was not surprised to see primroses suddenly appearing in every direction. Thus, with an unspeakable thrill, she felt quite certain that all the things were coming, as she said, out of the lion's head. When you listened to his song, you heard the things he was making up. When you looked around you, you ended up seeing them. This was so exciting that she had no time to be afraid. But Digger and the cabbie could not help feeling a bit nervous as each turn of the lion's walk brought him ever near. As for Uncle Andrew, his teeth were chattering, but his knees were shaking so that he could not run away. Suddenly, the witch stepped boldly out towards the lion. It was coming on, always singing, with a slow, heavy pace. It was only twelve yards away now. She raised her arm and flung the iron bar straight at its head. Nobody, least of all Jadis, could have missed him at that range. The bar struck the lion fair between the eyes. It glanced off and fell with a thud in the grass. The lion kept coming. Its walk was neither slower nor faster than before, and he could not tell whether or not it even knew that it had been hit. Though its soft pads made no noise, he could feel the earth shake beneath their weight. The witch shrieked and ran. In a few moments, she was out of sight among the trees. Uncle Andrew turned to do likewise, tripped over a root, and fell flat on his face into a little brook that ran down to join the river. The children could not move. They were not even quite sure that they wanted to. The lion paid no attention to them. Its huge red mouth was open, but open in song, not a snarl. It passed by them so close that they could have touched its mane. They were terribly afraid it would turn and look at them, yet in some queer way they, they wished it would. But for all the notice it took of them, they might just as well have been invisible and unsmellable. When it had passed them and gone a few paces further, it turned, passed them again, and continued its march eastward. Uncle Andrew, coughing and sputtering, picked himself up. Now, Digger, he said, we've got rid of that woman, and the brood of a lion is gone. Give me your hand and put on your ring at once. Keep off, Diggory said, backing away from him. Keep clear of him, Polly. Come over here besides me. Now I warn you, Uncle Andrew, don't come one step near. We'll just vanish. Do what you told this minute, sir, said Uncle Andrew. You're an extremely disobedient, ill-behaved little boy. No fear, said Diggory. We want to stay and see what happens. I thought you wanted to know about other worlds. Don't you like it now that you're here? Like it, exclaimed Uncle Andrew. Just look at the state I'm in. This is my best coat and waistcoat, too. He certainly was a dreadful sight by now, for, of course, the more dressed up you were to begin with, the worse you looked after. You crawled out of a smashed, handsome cab and fallen into a muddy brook. I'm not saying, he added, that this is my most, not the most interesting place. If I were a younger man, now, perhaps I could get some lively young fellows to come here first. One of those being, you know, big game hunters. Something might be made of this country. The climate is delightful. I never felt such air. I believe it would have done me good if if circumstances had been more favorable. If, if only we had a gun. 
Guns be blowed, said the cabbie. I think I'll go and see if I can give Strawberry a rub down. That horse has more sense than some humans, as I can mention. He walked back to Strawberry and began making the hissing noises that grooms make. Do you still think that lion could be killed by a gun? asked Diggory. He didn't munch mine the iron bar. With all her faults, said Uncle Andrew, that's a plucky girl, my boy. He has a spirited thing, too. He rubbed his hands and cracked his knuckles, as if he were once more forgettable, forgetting how the witch frightened him whenever she was really there. It was a wicked thing to do, said Polly. What harm would he had he done her? Hello, what's that? said Diggory. He had darted forward to examine something only a few yards away. I say, Polly, he called back, do come and take a look. Uncle Andrew came with her. Not because he wanted to see, but because he wanted to keep close to the children. There might be a chance of stealing their rings. But when he saw what Diggory was looking at, even he began to take an interest. It was a little, perfect model of a lamppost, about three feet high, but lengthening and thickening in proportion as they watched it. In fact, growing, just as the trees were growing. It's alive, too. I mean, it's lit, said Diggory. And so it was. Though, of course, the brightness of the sun made the little flame in the lantern hard to see unless your shadow fell on it. Remarkable, most remarkable, muttered Uncle Andrew. Even I never dreamed of magic like this. We're in a world where everything, even a lamp post, comes to life and grows. Now I wonder what sort of seed a lamp post grows from. Don't you see, said Diggory? This is where the bar fell. The bar she tore off the lamp post at home. It sank into the ground and now it's coming up as a young lamp post. But not so very young now. It was as tall as Diggory while he said this. That's it. Stupendous. Stupendous, said Uncle Andrew, rubbing his hands harder than ever. Ho, ho. They laughed at my magic. That fool of a sister of mine thinks I'm a lunatic. I wonder what they'll say now. I have discovered a world where everything is bursting with life and growth. Columbus, now they talk about Columbus, but was that, what was America to this? The commercial possibilities of this country are unbounded. Bring a few old bits of scrap iron here, bury them, and up they come as brand new railway engines, battleships, anything you please. They'll cost nothing, and I can sell them at full prices in England. I shall be a millionaire. And then the climate. I feel years younger already. I can run it and as a health resort. A good sanitarium here must be worth 20000 a year. Of course, I shall have to let a few people in to the secret. The first thing is to get that brute shot. You're just like the witch, said Polly. All you think of is killing things. And then, as regards oneself, said Uncle Andrew, in a, continuing in a quite a happy dream. There's no knowing how long I might live if I settled here. And that's a good consider- big consideration when the fellow has turned 60. I shouldn't be surprised if I never grew a day older in this country. Stupendous, the land of youth. Oh, cried Lan- Diggory, the land of youth. Do you really think that this is it? For, of course, he remembered what Aunt Letty had said to the lady who brought the grapes. And that sweet hope rushed back in- upon him. Uncle Andrew said, Do you think there's anything here that would cure mother? What are you talking about? Uncle Andrew asked. This isn't a chemist's shop. But as I was saying, you don't care two pence about hers. 
Diggory said savagely. I thought you might. After all, she was your sister as well as my mother. Well, no matter. I'm jolly well going to ask the lion himself if he can help me. And with that, he turned and walked briskly away. Polly waited for a moment, and then went after him. Here, stop, come back. The boy's gone mad, said Uncle Andrew. He followed the children at a cautious distance behind them, for he didn't want to get too far away from the green rings or too near the lion. In a few minutes, Diggory came to the edge of the wood, and there he stopped. The lion was still singing, but now the song had once more changed. It was more like what we should call a tune, but it was also far wilder. If It made you want to run and jump and climb. It made you want to shout. It made you want to rush at other people and either hug them or fight them. It made Diggory hot and red in the face. It had some effect on Uncle Andrew, too, for Diggory could hear him saying, A spirited girl, sir. It's a pity about, pity about her temper, but a fine woman all the same. A fine woman. But with the song... What the song did to the humans was nothing compared to what it was doing to the country. Can you imagine a stretch of grassy land bubbling up like water in a pot? For that was really the best description that was happening. In all directions, it was swelling into humps. They were of very different sizes, but no bigger than molehills. Some no bigger than molehills. Some as big as wheelbarrows. Two were the size of cottages. And the humps moved and swelled till they burst and the crumpled earth poured out of them, and from each hump there came out an animal. The moles came out, just as you might see a mole come out in England. The dogs came out, barking the moments their heads were free, and struggling as you've seen them do when they're getting through a narrow hole in a hedge. The stags were the queerest to watch, for of course the antlers came up a long time before the rest, so at first Degree thought that they were trees. The frogs came who all came up near the river, went straight into the net and plop, plop with a loud croaking. The panthers, leopards, and things of that sort sat down at once to watch the loose earth off of their hindquarters, and then they stood up against the trees to sharpen their front claws. Showers of birds came out of the trees. Butterflies fluttered everywhere. Bees got to work on the flowers as if they hadn't a second to lose. But the greatest moment of all was when the biggest hump broke like a small earthquake and out came the sloping back, the large, wide head, and the four baggy trousered legs of an elephant. And now you could hardly hear the song of the lion, for there was so much cawing, cooing, crowing, braying, neighing, baying, barking, lowing, bleeding, and trumpeting. But though Diggory could no longer hear the lion, he could still see it. It was as it was so big and so bright that he could not take his eyes off of it. The other animals did not appear to be afraid of it. Indeed, at that very moment, Diggory heard the sounds of hooves from behind. A second later, the old cab horse trotted past him and joined the other beasts. The air had apparently suited him as well as it had suited Uncle Andrew. He no longer looked like the poor old slave he had been in London. He was picking up his feet and holding his head high erect. And now, for the first time, the lion was quite silent. He was going to and fro among the animals. Every now and then, he would go up to two of them, always two at a time, and touch their noses with his. He would touch two beavers among all the beavers, two leopards among all the leopards, one stag and one deer among all the deer, and then leave the rest. Some sorts of the animals he passed over altogether, but the pairs with 
she touched instantly left their own kinds and followed him. At last he stood still, and all the creatures whom he had touched came and stood in a wide circle around him. The others whom he had not touched began to wander away. Their noises faded gradually into the distance as they left. The chosen beasts who remained were now utterly silent, all their eyes fixed intently upon the lion. The cat-like ones gave an occasional twitch of the tail, but otherwise all were still. For the first time that day there was complete silence, except for the noise of the running water. Diggory's heart beat wildly. He knew something very solemn was going to be done. He had not forgotten about his mother, but he knew jolly well that, even for her, he couldn't interrupt a thing like this. The lion, whose eyes never blinked, stared at the animals as hard as if he had, was going to burn them up with his mere stare. Gradually, a change came over them. The smaller ones, like the rabbits and moles, grew a good deal larger. The very big ones, he noticed, and most of the elephants, they grew a little smaller. Many animals sat up on their hind legs. Most put their heads to one side as if they were trying hard to understand something. The lion then opened his mouth, but no sound came from it. He was breathing out a long, warm breath. It seemed to sway all of the beasts as the wind sway a line of trees. Far overhead, from beyond the veil of blue sky, which hid the stars, sang again, a pure, cold, difficult music. Then there came a swift flash like fire, but nobody got burned, either from the sky or from the lion itself, and every drop of blood tingled into the children's bodies, and the deepest, wildest voice they ever heard was saying, Narnia, 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 awake, love, think, speak, be walking trees, be talking beasts, be divine waters. Hey guys, this is Abigail Yon, the voice of the English Corner. If you like what you've been listening so far, head over to anchor.fm backwards slash Abigail dash yawn. You'll be able to support me there. This just helps me to continue what you've been listening to so far and helps me to continue doing what I'm doing, further what I'm doing, add more content, post more. So head over to anchor.fm backwards slash abigail dash yawn. Make sure to capitalize the A in Abigail. Hear from you soon.